Welcome to The Liberated Life. Get ready to free your mind, body, and spirit in business and pleasure. Now here's your host, Robin Quinn Keen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Liberated Life. I'm really excited to have Keneal Joyce with me today. She is an amazing woman with all kinds of interesting things in her background. She's an executive coach, a mom, a wife, a podcaster, a former professor, and a start-upper. And she helps people achieve their goals, learn to lead powerfully, and sustain change in their lives, which is such an important component, right, Keneal? Like, you can make all these changes, but if you can't figure out how to live authentically that way, you kind of go backwards. And I've watched, oh, that. Yeah. I've watched that happen a few times. She has a weekly podcast. And remind me of the name. I just looked at it. What is it called again? Yeah, it's called Aloud. Aloud. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I love that. Such a great name. And I imagine that has to do with some of the things we're going to talk about today. You also do individual and group coaching and leadership development training. And you're all about helping people become a conscious leader and live a life of abundance. So welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you too. Thank you. Uh, It's great to be here. Thank you. So liberated life, you know, when you reached out to me initially, I just saw, um, I saw that word liberated and I saw uh, in everything you've written, how much you stand for freedom. And that's what you're all about. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and that's what I'm all about too. And it was actually really even like clarifying of, yeah, that is, that is the game. That is totally the game because that's so possible for all of us. And yet we have these kind of invisible traps that we often live in and we don't even realize that we're there. So, um, I think that would be another way to kind of summarize the work that I've been able to do which is about liberation and it's an internal kind. Well, that's really the key, isn't it? It's an internal game and it requires, I think it requires rigor, right? Like not allowing things to take over our thoughts, not allowing our thoughts to go certain places, putting away the idea even of not being enough, which is not easy. It, it takes daily awareness, at least it does for me to notice when I'm on track and when I'm off track. And I think the temptation is to go off track. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're hardwired to go off track in the way that you're describing it. We're hardwired to go into a a place that is filled with um, blame and I'm stuck and I can't and, and then just kind of escapism and you know, we can talk more about this in, in a little bit. And that's, that's what I, I think of as, as the drama triangle. And that's, that's the, just, that's just the human, that's human nature. We're just very much inclined to go into a state of threat. Like there's a problem out there, um, that I need to avoid or fix or control. And when we go into that kind of threat-based place, we don't have access to our zone of genius. And that's the place where we feel the most uh, liberated, the most in flow and at ease. And we're bringing our natural gifts to the world in a way that is life giving to us. And it gives us energy and it restores us. And it is where we feel our full aliveness. And we're not, you know, we might be um, putting in effort, but we're not, it's not hard. We might be working hard, but it's not hard. If you know what I mean? I do. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend maybe six months ago, and she 
she knows I work a lot, but I absolutely love what I do. For me, it's my creative zone. If I'm if I'm doing the right things, I'm enlivened by all of it. And she said, Robin, when is enough ever enough for you? <laughs> I said, never. <laughs> like, I'm actually having fun, you know? Uh, so it's very interesting what people think and about what I'm doing, but then my actual experience, as long as I'm having fun and I'm doing things that I love, I could do it all the time. And I, I know there's another whole side of that, like finding balance, right? I don't know if that's such mm-hmm. a thing, but um, having other parts of me that also have so much fun in a different way. But it's just interesting that the concept of, uh, for me, I have a life that I really love. I really enjoy mm-hmm. it. And yet I know so many people that that don't enjoy theirs and they really struggle. And I think what you were talking about a moment ago about the zone of genius, I'd like to talk more about that because it is that state of ease and you think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And other people look at what you do and they're like, how do you do that? And you're like, do mm-hmm. what? I just do mm-hmm. it. And I think that's kind of that zone you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, for me, I can definitely trace back through my career and look at where, um, I was really, so maybe I can give a framework first before I get into sort of life story and how this became such an important topic for me. Um, I, you know, when I was growing up, I was just a natural performer. I was always, um, like doing dances. I knew all the words to Evita and Annie, like these musicals, and I would sing them on the swings in preschool. Like I knew, all the words I loved performing and I still do. I love performing. I get so much energy from being, um, just in a place of like free self-expression and, um, connecting with other people through that. Uh, and then I really got attached to the idea that I would be an actress. And so, you know, a, as a diligent kind of hardworking kind of person, a curious person, I became very interested in method acting, which I've, I've learned a lot from, and I use it in my coaching practice. I'm, I'm using this, I'm using the skills of getting into somebody else's head and into their psyche for sure. But I got so attached to doing it right. And I was really like crimping myself and cramping myself into, I, there's a certain way that's the right way to do this. And a certain way that's not. And I basically left my zone of genius. And that began a long path from, you know, probably age 15 until age 35, which is, you know, I think that's probably a pretty standard, you know, time frame of we, we go off and we try to do things in ways that we think are what's the right way. What are other people wanting from us? And we might be really good at it and we might work really hard at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're often we're not in our zone of genius. We're, and we will know because there's some tension somewhere. Um, we're in, we're in a lower state than that. We're in our zone of excellence, um, where, where we are really good. We're working really hard. We're getting results. We're getting rewards, but ultimately it does, it can lead to burnout. It can lead to frustration or just lack of fulfillment. Um, we might even be in our zone of competence, which is where we're fine at it you know, I consider myself like I'm fine at paying my bills. Um, but I'm not, you know, it doesn't give me life and it, it's no one would say you're, you're knocking it out of the park. It's fine though. I, I don't hate it. I, I don't fail every time or my zone of incompetence, which is more like, 
you know, remembering <laughs> that there's a stack of bills and like really like digging in and like just staying on top of it, staying on top of all these things. This is why I am so grateful that I'm at a stage now where I can outsource so many things like that. But, you know, in summary, there's these four zones, there's the, the zone of genius. So great results, fairly effortless, like comes naturally to me. I love it. It gives me life. Um, zone of excellence comes under that. That's the zone where I may not be 100% naturally good at it, but I had enough natural gifts that I could work really hard and learn and I could become excellent and I'm getting lots of rewards for it. But ultimately it does slowly drain my energy. Mm -hmm. The zone of competence is the one where it's ho-hum, you know, fine. I can do it. Um, not, it's not horrible, but I, you know, I would love to not do it. And then the zone of incompetence, and this is the one I say, try to do nothing in your zone of incompetence, like do everything you can to get that off your plate. Cause that's where you're really getting drained of energy. You're not good at it anyway. You don't like doing it. You're not creating good results. Why, why do it? So like those four zones, I mean, I can definitely see in my own life story, how I moved through those. And, you know, even later on in my, um, in my mid twenties and up into my early thirties, uh, I was living in my zone of excellence so much, just trying to achieve mm -hmm. thinking, oh, I finally am almost there. I'm finally almost about to prove to everyone, you know, that I'm basically that I'm enough, you know, that I'm credible or that. You know, I don't have to work my way up the ladder in the same way that, um, I never would be able to. Um, and that's where I developed this like crippling back pain and I couldn't even walk and working my way out of that pain. Um, I'm so grateful that that happened at such an early age. That's where I learned like little by little, just through feedback from my own body to get myself into this career path that I'm in now which is one that really works for my body because I get to move a lot and I have a lot of freedom, but that also led me to living in my zone of genius. You really got feedback from your body that you were out of alignment with your highest calling, right? That's mm -hmm. very interesting. And how did you know that that's what that was, that pain that you had? How did you arrive at the conclusion that it was something to do with your calling in your zone of genius. Just mm -hmm. You know, I didn't think of it at all in those terms for a long time, really until only maybe three years ago, four years ago, I really began to understand it that way mm -hmm. in retrospect mm -hmm. at the time it was, it was literally, is there like on the days where I am like my body is consumed with pain is there a difference in what I'm doing on those days from the days where it's slightly less, oh. slightly less. And the difference was, okay, on the days where I have that time, it was either I'm sitting in front of my computer doing a bunch of research because I was working on my PhD at Berkeley. And those days that was the worst, you know, like I remember trying to even be able to lay down in bed and like even getting into bed, just crying. Uh -huh. Um, to figure out a way, like, how can I get my body down there? And, and then the other days, the days that it felt better, those days I was teaching, I was in meetings. I was, you know, I had things happening on multiple sides of campus. And at the time I was carrying like five back pillows with me and like hobbling across like very slowly, but those days that was better. Those were days with movement. 
So I realized I can't be sitting in front of a computer to have slightly less pain. And it was just little incremental um, noticings like that, that were very much driven just by like, you know, honest, like desperation where I had basically kind of cancel my whole entire life, um, cancel, you know, I was going to go to Hawaii and present to talk. I canceled that. I was going to, you know, sold my car, sold our furniture, like everything must go. Uh, because there's nothing I can do right now. And I'll just kind of rebuild from there. And so it wasn't at all an understanding that this is my calling. It was more, this is what I can do. Yeah. This is, this is what works for me. And, but the big breakthrough for me was getting to the place of it's, I have no choice, but to stand for what works for me because I literally cannot show up to anything else. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned the word. No. It is, it is a hard word, especially, you know, a lot of us are people pleasers and, you know, it's just an extreme of that, right? We just get into saying yes to everything, which is something I work with people on all the time is getting aligned with what you really are meant to do and what you really want to do and learning how to say no. And even going back and cleaning up things that you said yes to, and then you need to say no to, right? It's a it's such a great skill to have, but it's really hard to learn until mm-hmm. you were pushed to a point, Keneal, where you needed to say no, like there was no choice for you. And that's, yeah, that makes total sense. You just had to. Lucky, right? Yeah. <laughs> so lucky. So, yeah. So then, so then it was just, you know, I was just following what felt good to me. And, and I think that is the path, you know, whatever, whether you have a wake up call like that, and you're in enough discomfort or not, you can following what's good for you. Like what feels good to you. That is such a great and simple commitment that you can make mm-hmm. and realizing like, we're all going to have probably a lot of judgments wrapped around what, what's good for us. And like, is that really like the best thing? And is it, you know, should I, I just want to invite, invite you listening to this podcast to just allow yourself to even feel what feels good to you and what feels less good to you. And to notice if you have judgments and make those judgments, just realize that's a separate thing than what feels good to you and bad to you. And it's following that it's, it's so often not a clear path. I mean, I don't know that it ever is certainly for me, it wasn't, but I do feel like I landed there, which is I never thought I'd get here. Yeah, that is, mm-hmm. that is amazing. And there's something around permission, right? Permission to feel good. I don't know what all this suffering is. I really mm-hmm. don't. I'm like, why? I have a friend and I've asked him a couple of times. I'm like, why would you choose unhappiness? Why would you choose mm-hmm. suffering? Like there are other options. And yet there's something that I've seen and I'm sure I've done it to myself too, where like suffering and martyrdom is the only option. Like I, mm-hmm. I must be this way. And I know when I was raising kids, my mom, God bless her, she was quite good at being an overgiver and overdoer and over pleaser, people pleaser. And, you know, she grew up with an alcoholic dad and parents that fought like crazy. She, she was just taking care of herself, but she kind of passed that on in, in parts of it were great and parts of it were not so great. So there's a lot, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of judgment that goes with all of this. And I didn't ever think that like happiness was the the big goal in life. 
until more recently. And I'm like, what's the point unless I'm happy? Like, why, Mm -hmm. why would I do anything actually that makes me unhappy? Mm -hmm. And that's really what you're talking about being in that state of like, ah, this feels good. I like this for my work. I like this for my workout. I like this for Mm -hmm. my food. I like this, right? Why not? Why not live like that? Right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up food. That was I feel like I learned so much too, through that journey around food, like slowly, like releasing the grip and learning to trust my body, that my body's instincts were going to keep me healthy and keep me on the best path and result in like the most life. And that was, yeah, maybe that was even the first one of like learning that I could trust my, you know, my instinct. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Just I remember as a child, I hated beets so much, mm-hmm. hated them. <laughs> like I would shudder and I actually can't eat them today. I think they're probably not good for me. And I just trust now I believe, okay, great. Don't eat beets. Like don't ever eat another beet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I remember thinking as a child, there's something wrong with this. There's something wrong. Cause I would like get, I would get really like shaky and feel horrible. Anyway, mm. my mom, my mom didn't believe it, but I believed it. I believe mm-hmm. it's good for me. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's interesting because we, I think our bodies do know, I think we really do know, but we get so conditioned. Like you said a couple of minutes ago, like, what will other people think? Oh, is that good for you? Are you sure that's good for you? Isn't that bad for you? Like, yeah. how do they know? They don't know. They have no right. idea. Yeah. And, and, and we, and then we, we look for the booby prize, which is why, you know, why is, why would I not like this? Why? why would this not be good for me? Can I find anyone else out there who agrees with me and who can give me like a reason? It's like, we just don't always need a reason. Why is the booby prize? That's funny. (laughs) That's really funny. I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. I mean, you talked, you talked about like, why do, why is it that people, we, we all like have this attraction. I think it's not, not conscious. We're not going out there being like, I'm consciously attracted, but I think on some level we're all attracted to suffering. And um, yeah. I think the thing is, is that suffering comes with so many goodies, it comes with so much pleasure. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. Because uh, the suffering. So I, I mentioned this, this, uh, this concept of the drama triangle. Mm-hmm. So in my world, suffering comes if, and only if I'm in drama, I'm in drama when I'm in that state of threat. And that's the only place suffering can happen. So when I'm in drama, I'm going to occupy one or more of these three positions. And this is this, this, like, it'll be really hard to unsee this after you learn it. Okay. So the, the drama triangle is the hero, the victim, and the villain. Mm-hmm. When I'm in, let's start with a victim. That's kind of the most typical of these positions. So in the victim position, I am, I'm saying things like, I can't, I'm helpless. Um, I need something I had to, I, I, you know, she made me. And, and from that place, it's like that genuine kind of I'm powerless. And there's such a suffering to that, of feeling like the fear and the threat and the, oh, like tension. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can be in the victim position about myself. I can also be in victim about someone or something else. Like they're helpless. They need and, and uh, this is really different from being a 
you know, there's two meanings of this word victim. This is really different from being the victim of a crime, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, it's a mindset. The second position would be the villain position, which is where um, I'm really interested in who's to blame. I'm judging, I'm critiquing, I'm, I'm criticizing. And from that position, someone or something is right and someone or something is wrong or good or bad. Um, I'm in this really kind of, you know, black and white dual mindset. Mm-hmm. And, and that position kind of sucks too. There's a lot of suffering that goes with that one. And it's also one that's interested in inflicting suffering, right? It's punitive. I want to punish. Mm-hmm. So again, this one can be about me or someone or something else. Mm-hmm. Then I, I often will bounce off of one at one or both of those positions. And I go to the third position on the drama triangle to find temporary relief. And that position is called hero and see if this one is familiar to you, Robin. Okay. So in the hero position, we try to help save, solve, make problems go away, soothe, and, you know, temporarily end suffering. We might do it by numbing out or escaping or, um, reframing. And there's all these different ways that we kind of avoid the, the true suffering of the moment and escape it temporarily. But from that position, we can't resolve issues permanently. Mm-hmm. So when I think about, and this, there's research that goes back to the 1960s, uh, by Stephen Cartman talking about this drama triangle dynamic, but within the span of seconds, you know, we, we tend to bounce between all three of those positions. And most of us are in drama most of the time about most things. It's just totally human. It's like hardwired. It's not wrong. It's not bad, but it's hard to, it's probably not possible to resolve any issue permanently Mm -hmm. from drama. Mm -hmm. So going back to my own story, when I had all of that back pain and I was also you know, it was the, it was the worst of all trade-offs because I thought to myself succeeding in this PhD program and succeeding as an academic is kind of my ticket out of suffering. And this is my ultimate hero move, right? I'll have this PhD and then ever, you know, no one will ever be able to say I'm not credible ever again. Mm -hmm. No one will ever be able to say I'm too hippie woo woo ever again Mm -hmm. or flaky or ADD or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I was kind of brought to my knees and that it was just so clear that was no longer working. And so I had to step out of this, like the villain piece of it, which was you should finish, you should work really hard. You should get X, Y, Z position. You should. And then also the victim position of, I can't help it. I can't leave. I can't feel better. I can't say no, I can't do these things because then and then, you know, you go and enroll your villain because then they're going to blame me and they're going to done it and they're judge me and then it's all happening to me. Right. And so it was just like, boom, 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 quickly, boom, boom, through all those positions in the drama triangle. Mm. But it was only once I said, you know what? I surrender. Mm. Like I can't control this. I cannot control all these things. If I continue to think that I can't, and I don't have any choices, like I'll suffer for the rest of my life. So I remember being in the kitchen and being like, I will never let this happen again. Mm. And that was when I took responsibility. Yeah. So say a little bit more about that, Camille, because I, I know that that triangle very well. I think we all do, if we're honest, we can mm-hmm. sit with it and recognize where that happens. And 
uh, honestly, the easiest place to go is pointing at other people and going, ah, she's always a victim, right? Yes. It's, it's way easier because in my head while you were talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know a few people who are just immersed in the victim role, right? And so it's easy to look at others. So if you need to look at somebody else to find that setup, do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, then you can also consider where is that happening in your own life? But the big question is, is how you get out of it. And you said you surrendered. So can you say a little bit more about what that actually means? What does it mean to surrender? Do you surrender, surrender victim, the being the victim, mm -hmm. surrender that like, okay, great. I see that. And without judgment, mm -hmm. I'm going to release that role from my mm -hmm. life or from mm -hmm. this situation. Is that kind of the process that you take people through? Yeah. And, and, and there's, it seems to me that there's always only one thing that you ever are surrendering and it's you're surrendering being right. Ah, if I can surrender. So the only thing that ever brings me into drama is I start being right. I'm trying, I'm trying to be right on the inside of my head, or I really think I'm right that there's a big threat out there. Mm. You know, in my case, I was really being right that, you know, one, I shouldn't feel pain. Mm. Two, um, I need to perform and act in a certain way inside of this, you know, job that I have right now. Um, three, I can't say no. I was really right about that. Four, they're going to blame me and judge me. Five, I won't survive if they're, if they're blaming and judging me. Um, six, I need to pretend like everything is fine. Mm -hmm. Like seven, you know, my, my parents and my friends won't think the same of me if I stop. Now, none of these is necessarily right or wrong, right? They're both, they're just all a bunch of stories. They're righteous stories. They're stories where I think there's a right one. And it actually, from that position of surrender is, I don't care. I may be right. I may be wrong. It doesn't serve me. That story is not going to drive me anymore. So can I, can I see each and every one of those stories and can I see how the opposite could be just as true? Mm -hmm. Like how about number one, I should feel pain. Not I shouldn't, I should feel pain. Why should I feel pain? Because that pain is waking me up because I haven't been taking care of my body. Cause I've been sitting at a computer for 14 hours in a row. Mm -hmm. Like that's why I should feel pain, you know, and I can go beat by beat through each and every one of those and try to unhook them from my brain. Yeah. Because it's really, it's not a fast, easier, natural process for most of us to begin to let go of being right. It sounds so simple. It's a cliche. It's a stupid bumper sticker. Yeah. Um, it's, it's deep, deep inner work. And it gets down to questions like, can I be right? Or can I stop being right? Can I let go of being right about the idea that, um, there's not enough money, that there's not enough time mm -hmm. that, um, it's really important that I have control. Like, can I let go of having control? Can I say, I don't need to, it's not right that I need control. Mm -hmm. All can then, then the only place that control can come from is inside of me. Mm -hmm. And maybe I don't even need that. So that's, that's the big surrender is I, it, it ultimately ends up looking like this. If you're watching the video, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. That's really very, very powerful. And uh, I mean, I think we are all, like you said, 
it's very human. We are always going to be facing this. I have a coach and I talked to her yesterday and I said, really? And she's like, yep, another layer of the onion, right? I was noticing mm. something and I was like, really? I, I, I thought I had... I thought I had worked through this. And she's like, Robin, it's just another layer deeper. It's just another, you just notice something and you thought you were done. Don't judge yourself. This is like just the next opportunity for you to, un to unravel it and just toss it out there, let it go. But so I'm just saying, even when you work really diligently on these things they it never there's never a done like you know no. idea of climbing mountains yeah well there there are mountains and mountains you're always going to have an opportunity um so there's no arrival right there's not at all and why would we want it no. i mean it's like life just seems to be my coach my coach calls it peekaboo um, so we, we love to play the game of peekaboo of, oh, I'm forgetting that, that ultimately at the end of the day, whether or not I shall perish all is well. Right. Or, um, waking up and being like, oh yeah, all is well. Mm -hmm. So it's like threat, trust, threat, trust, peekaboo. Mm -hmm. And like the waking up is just so fun. And it's also so fun in like the whole drama of the trial and, and we connect to each other as human beings that way. I mean, I can talk about hero, victim, villain with anybody from any culture around the world mm -hmm. and they're going to get it because it's the human experience. And like, isn't that a neat thing? We can all relate to each other. There's so many good, there's, there is no, there's certainly no end state. It does feel like the same lessons keep coming back around and around. Mm -hmm. the, I, yeah, I've heard it called the lazy river. I usually call it the pebble rock and boulder, right? Like mm -hmm. the time it comes around it's just like a little dink the second time it's like ouch and the third time you're like oh my gosh it's the boulder like okay I don't want the boulder again so I'm gonna work on this thing and you know come to a release of it but then it it, it still comes back maybe in a different form it's just the always there are always opportunities for personal growth there just always are and it would be completely boring if there weren't yeah I mean what oh, would we have going on if we were just somehow we had somehow arrived, arrived at what, then what? Like, I think yeah. that's just human nature, right? What's next? Okay, mm -hmm. what's next? Mm -hmm. And we can always take it on and get better. And, but I also think there are some people who don't want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. so, well, you mentioned self-numbing, self medicating, whatever that is, self-medicating. That could even be with working out too much, or it could be anything that takes us out yeah. of the present moment and and puts us somewhere where we're avoiding. Yeah. 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 One of my favorite ways to numb out is organizing things. You should have seen me earlier today. You know, like I mentioned to you before we started recording, I've got two kids who are, who are homesick and you know, they're home a lot because we're still doing, um, mm -hmm. you know, homeschool here in California. And, 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 you know, there's, I know there's a huge laundry list of things for me to do. Um, I don't want to deal with them. I'm going into like, I can't mode victim mode. I'm going into villain. You should mode. And then it's the whole entire thing sucks so much. And so I'm like, I'm going to crawl under my desk and start organizing the cords that attach to my computer. And then I'm going to like screw my microphone in a bunch of different ways. And, and, and that's my numbing, you know, like, and I have lots of different ways. Um, but yeah, I, I really try to lean into that's not wrong. And and I just have compassion for myself for like, oh yeah, poor baby. Of course, you know, you're pushing yourself so hard. Like mm -hmm. it's okay. <laughs>
That's nice to know you talk to yourself because I talk to myself too. I will give myself grace, you know, like, oh, Robin, you worked so hard on that. That's totally great. And you, you're tired. You don't have to do that other thing tonight. You should just take yeah. care of yourself. Watch an hour of Netflix. That's okay. You know, yeah. I, you have those conversations and I realize the pressure and the judgment is only self-imposed. Uh, it, it's funny because my kids, you know, through the years have said stuff like, well, what will other people think of me when they were growing up? in their teens. And I was like, actually, they don't think of you, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they, they think of you for a minute, but I promise you, they're not spending hours having conversations about your choices when you're 14. They're just not. And I think we somehow think that there's more external stuff. And mm -hmm. actually when, at the end of the day, it's all my internal dialogue. It is about right and wrong and victim and villain and hero. All, all of this stuff is just an internal mm -hmm. dialogue, I think. And mm -hmm. So I know we're almost out of time, but let's go back for just a minute, Keneal, to the yeah. to the zone of genius. And so that is like ultimately the the most fun place for us to be. Mm -hmm. And and so what takes us out of the zone mm -hmm. is this drama triangle, right? We can't. Right. How can we be in two places at the same time? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when yeah. When, um, so I have a process I, I guide uh, my students through, which it, you know, it's different versions of it, but it can take, you know, as long as three months and it can involve doing a lot of self-reflection. It can also involve going out and getting feedback. I have them get feedback from 30 to 50 people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all positive, like affirmative feedback about how they see you in your zone of genius. Once, once that kind of unveiling happens, um, and it's, it's rare that people don't cry, to be honest, because it's so striking to see that everybody sees this thing about you that you've been thinking is like no big deal. Oh, everyone can do that. And like right. you were saying at the beginning of this, like, how is it that you do so much? And I just, I don't know. I just do me. Yeah. It's like that. So, but then, then the work is now my challenge is would you be willing to live in your zone of genius, which means you're spending at least 70% of your time there. Mm -hmm. And now we get into the calendar and we look at, you know, in, in this meeting, this meeting, this meeting, was your energy going up? Was it going down? Was it staying neutral? We like audit all of that. We yeah. look at, you know, in those, in these activities where you're, you're, you're feeling like your energy is going down or you're feeling like it was not in flow, not ease you know, would you, would you be able to tap into some of those ways that you are being in your zone of genius and bring those in and see if you can even change like how every activity in your life feels. Um, but what we bump into so quickly is, but I can't just quit my job. Um, I can't do what will people think of me. Um, and all the scarcity beliefs and mindsets come up all these, all the righteous beliefs, right. I'm right. That everything's going to go wrong because if I do this, then they'll do this and like, boom, back in the drama triangle again. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's, I mean, there's so many reasons why I love this of genius work, but one of them is it's just such, it's so elegant the way that it, it keeps bringing us back to confront like that next layer of our own drama onion. Yeah. Oh, here's that pattern again. Here I go again into this belief. There's not enough time. Yeah. There's not enough time, uh, whatever the belief is. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really a pretty perfect boot camp for the soul. And then the reward is so evident. It's so clear because every additional 1% of that time that we lock up for ourselves, we unlock, like we can we get all the goodies of, you know, being in that ecstatic place of flow. And mm -hmm. we really can live that way. Mm -hmm.
Mm. Well, thank you for that. You inspired me to revisit my calendar because I know that when I'm having the most fun, it's when I'm connecting with other people. I have a couple of masterminds that I run, which I just love. Like to me, that is, that is not even work. It isn't work at all. Mm -hmm. It's just pure pleasure for me. And when I'm working with clients who are really on fire about something, that's pure pleasure for me. Um, But I need to go back and look at the times that aren't because I have plenty of times on my calendar. I could go back over the last week and go, yeah, that was just okay. That was just okay. I like everything to feel like, you know, working with clients that I love and the masterminds that I totally adore. If I could just spend all of my time doing that, I've said that for years, like I'd just be happy Mm. running a mastermind every day for two or three hours. That would be, Mm. it would be perfect for me. I can't think of anything. Well, I can think of some things that might be more fun, like dancing, but you know or riding my bike or something, but that that's so great. A great practice to just look at, even on a, a review of your week, like how much time did I spend in that happy place? And mm-hmm. how could I bring more of that happy into next week? What did I, what did I do to create that here? And how can mm-hmm. I recreate it there? Yeah. What a great, what a great thing to consider. Oh, yeah. awesome. I love yeah. the idea of you running a mastermind every day. Yeah. And maybe, maybe one of them includes dancing. It could. <laughs> I'd sign up for that. <laughs> that would be fun. That'd be really fun. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. But um, thank you so much, Keneal. And where do people find you? I know it's your website is just it's Keneal.com. Is that right? Yeah. So it's C-A-N-E-E-L.com, caneel.com. And my podcast is called Allowed, like you're allowed to be whole. Mm-hmm. And that's available on every podcast player. You can also go to allowedpodcast.com and you can find all the episodes there organized by topic. And I've got a lot of downloadables that go with the episodes. And um, I'll just mention if it's all right, we, um, we just launched a membership program, which is a community. Um, we gather live interactively twice a month and once at least once a month, it's going to be with me and I'll guide you through exercises and you can, you know, come in your jam jams, have your camera off. It's all good. And if you want to lean in fully and have your camera on and really um, engage and and receive some live coaching, you can do that too. It's a great group of people, uh, very diverse, very just soulful people who are ready and want to support each other. And yeah, then the second episode is it'll either be myself doing a sort of a live workshop or bringing another guest in so that you can have a sampling of different experiences and different people's zones of geniuses. You know, I am, but one style. And I, I know that, like you said, growth is just so fun. Like working on yourself is just so fun. And those are the kinds of people that I work with are, we're kind of junkies for this. So want to provide more goodies for the junkies. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds absolutely wonderful. I'll have to come and check it out. I was on your website earlier today and I thought I saw something about a membership, but I didn't know much about it. So if you'd love to connect with Keneal, and I think you should, if you've enjoyed this podcast, definitely go connect with her, go to her website and check her out and then check out her podcast too. I'm going to go back and I did notice how you had them all organized so nicely by topic at your website, which is so helpful. And you have all kinds of things, tools and leadership and uh, all kinds of topics there. It looks great, Keneal. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah th- well, that's, that's all, that's not my zone of genius. That's, that's uh, my, my team. So thank you. team. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. You have the vision, but they implement it for you, right? Yeah. It's a great thing. Well, thank you so much for having this very fun conversation with me. I really enjoyed it. Well, this was fun. I just love your energy so much. It's really it's such a treat. I can imagine 
what it's like to work with you as a coach. Oh. Thanks so much lightness. So thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening in and we'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also get more great information at quittingculture.com.